Saving money on your outdoor project? Now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning into the show. Fantastic conversation day with Dan Chabelle. He's a New York Times bestselling author, partner and research director at Future Workplace, and he's the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. He's got a brand new book out there. It's called Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. What a timely book. I absolutely love this book. The mission of this book is to help leaders like ourselves create a more human and socially connected workplace in this age where we are so reliant, increasingly reliant on technology as a crutch. In this book and in this conversation today, Dan and I talk about how we need to start using technology as a bridge to human connection, not a barrier. It's a fascinating book. I highly encourage you to check out all the links on this post at doseofleadership.com. Visit Dan's website, danschwabel.com. That's D-A-N-S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com to learn more about this book and uh, connect with all the fantastic offers he has with this book. Uh, it's a great conversation. I think you're really thoroughly going to enjoy it. And again, the book is Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Business. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, RSM Marketing. If you're feeling overwhelmed by expanding marketing tactics, then an outsourced marketing department could help take it off the plates. That's what my friends at RSM Marketing specialize in. They employ dozens of specialists and experienced marketing directors that act as an outsourced marketing department for your company. And they work with companies from small startups to huge market leaders with thousands of employees. doesn't matter what size your company is. Companies hire RSM because of the complexity of marketing is growing exponentially and companies don't want to hire and manage a large team of marketing professionals. It makes sense. Outsourcing allows you to get gain access to a full team of marketing specialists with a flat monthly subscription rate, often as low as the cost of a single marketing FTE. You can learn more at rsmconnect.com. That's rsmconnect.com slash dose of leadership. And Dose of Leadership listeners get an additional $5,000 in outsourced marketing department if you contact my friend Mike today. So again, visit rsmconnect.com slash doseofleadership to learn more. All right, here's the great conversation without further ado with Dan Schabel, the author of the brand new book, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. Well, Dan, I'm so excited to have you on the Dose of Leadership podcast. Welcome to the show, my friend. Happy to be here. I love this new book that you, you have out, and I've been wanting to have you on the show for quite some time, and, and I'm excited to have you here. You know, I don't know if you've heard me talk about, but one thing um, particularly on the show that we talk about is engagement, um, empathy, and your book, Back to Human, covers all those basics, and it, 
hits that that topic of technology, you know, uh, what inspired you to write this book? Two years ago, I was interviewed for a documentary that's going to be out next year. It's called The Revolution Generation, and it basically profiles my generation, the millennials. And during the interview, it was two and a half hours, and I was asked multiple times, Dan, what's the biggest challenge that your generation faces? And I talked about global warming, the student loan debt crisis, world war, poverty. But I, I really narrowed in on isolation because that's what's affecting people on a daily basis, right? Wars yeah. are happening around us, but is that really affecting you know, our morning routine and how we connect with the, our friends and colleagues? Not as much. But isolation is a big deal because you know, loneliness can really, really impact someone's health and well-being. And so if you feel trapped in your house because you're working remote or in a co-working spaces where you're not getting a lot of human connection, it limits your ability to be productive because you are lacking the relationships that you need. I mean, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, after shelter and food, you need love, friendships, relationships. Yeah, it is uh, a- otherwise, you'll never be self-actualized. So it's so important that we focus on relationships in the workplace because we're working so many hours. The average work week now is 47 hours a week. Yeah. It's not a nine to five work day and not having your phone is a new vacation because even if you're on vacation or it's 11 o'clock at night on a Monday, you're probably still responding to emails. So we're always kind of working, even if we're not thinking that we're working, it's naturally happening because we're addicted to our phones and serve the phones and and our organizations 24-7. So if you have poor relationships with the people you work with and you're not doing work that's meaningful to you and has an impact, you're going to be disengaged. And 85% of the global workforce is disengaged in their work or actively disengaged. And that's a big deal because that's going to affect the relationships you have with your parents, your spouse, your friends outside of work because you're going to just complain to them about work. Yeah. Uh, you, you hit on so many things that, that I find completely ironic, but it is amazing to see how in, um, when did the iPhone come out in 07? Um, so in that 11 years, um, how addicted we all are to it. And even on the small micro scale, if you look at your families, I know, you know, with my four kids and even my wife, it's amazing. Sometimes we can all be sitting in the same room and how disconnected we can be because we're so addicted to those devices, right? So it takes this intentionality. And then you look around and you walk, and when when I fly for my airline job, and I walk up and down the aisles, and everybody is looking at the phone, right? Nobody's interacting with each other. And you think all this connectivity and all this technology would bring us closer together, but it really has isolated us. And it's frightening, really. It's so funny because I was just in Maine with my parents, and my mom goes, well... You know, I talk to everyone about your new book and I say back to human and they look at me like I'm weird, like back to human. What is this, a space age type book or sci-fi movie? Uh, And then my mom goes, yeah, the phone. We're overusing our phone. We're just texting all the time. And then it resonates immediately because everyone is guilty of overusing and abusing technology. We touch our, we tap our phones over 2,600 times a day and look at our phones at least every 15 minutes. Yeah. So it's true addiction. And that is limited human interaction, yet we require human interaction to exist and be happy. Happiness is other people. Yes. Happiness is the experiences we have with others. And if we're just using technology, we become isolated 
and then lonely. And so technology has created this great illusion that we're all connected. Yet when in reality, we're more disconnected, less engaged, less committed to our teams and organizations over the overuse and misuse of it. Yeah. Right. So my whole message in the book is let technology be a bridge to human connection instead of a barrier. Let it lead you to human connection. For instance, use technology in order to get everyone on the same page and on each other's calendars to go to a specific room or event or function at a specific time. But if you're still using the technology during that networking event or meeting or birthday party, you have failed. Right. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing this happen in work and outside of work. Examples of people, uh, leaders, having everyone put their cell phones in the middle of a, a table while they have a meeting. And at home, I interviewed someone for the book who had ground rules with his wife because they were just staring at screens in bed. And now they're, they're not allowed to have phones in, on, in bed or in their, the same room so that they can actually talk about their day. Yeah. So people have to create ground rules in order to separate themselves from the screens that they're constantly addicted to. And, and that's, that's, we're, that's given way to the experience economy is what I call it in the book and how, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have adult day camps or yoga retreats <laughs> right. or all these ways to get away from technology, but the technology has forced out our, our basic human instincts and needs. I'll give you a great example. And this was really cool from a study last year we did with Polycom of over 25,000 workers worldwide. We found that technology actually makes people uh, pick up the phone more because you're just you're using technology so much that you have no choice but to actually have those human interactions that you're lacking. Um, and what we found in the research study for this book, we interviewed over 2,000 managers and employees in, in 10 countries. And it was, uh, we partnered with Virgin Pulse, which is one of the 400 Virgin brands under Richard Branson. And we found that if you work remote, you're much less likely to want a long-term career at your company because really? you're isolated. You don't have those human connections. So everyone's been talking about all the pros to working from home, the light side, as I call it, which I've worked from home for almost eight years, which is the freedom and flexibility, your saving on commuting costs, and the shorter your commute, the less depressed you are. There's science behind that. Right. But no one ever talks about the dark side of working remote, and that is loneliness. Yeah. And it's real. And a third of the global workforce works remote, yet two-thirds are disengaged. Yeah, it's amazing how that the, the loneliness piece is like as many people as there are. And, and again, having that device in your hand where you can get literally any amount of information, uh, you can connect with almost anybody across the globe, yet it is very isolating. Um, I, I harken back to, I had a, uh, my parents, they've been gone uh, for quite a while now. And like I said, I'm 49, I'm older than you. And my parents... Um, were born, you know, came of age, married in the late 50s, early 60s, and they had this group of friends. And there were six couples, and there were 12 of them. And they all varying degrees of background, religious beliefs, political beliefs, all over the spectrum. But they were thick as thieves, and they started playing cards because they all lived close by each other, newly married, and they became these tight-knit friends, and they stayed together throughout all these decades. They did everything, lived, breathed, cried, bled, died with each other, and there was this tightness that, that I have yet to replicate in my life and a lot of my friends we don't have. And can you imagine having 12 close friends that you would do anything for? 
And I remember even at the point when I was going to move to Dallas and my dad was like, I said, you know, my mom had passed away and I said, Hey, why don't you come move down and live with us and be around the grandkids? And he says, no, nah, I don't want to be away from my friends. They were that close. Right. And they're all gone. And I'm very envious of that connection. Um, your book, and the reason why I bring that up is because when I read your book, it, it made me long for that type of uh, relationship that my parents had with their friends. Right. And so I guess I'm going to ask you, do, do you know, have you seen that in your life and the millennials where you have that close of tightness, the connections of friends that you would literally do anything for. And, and, and and does that make sense? I'll I'll tell you, it's extremely rare. And the research shows that after age 25, you start losing friends quickly because your friends get spread out. They get married, they have children and people as they age, they have quote unquote less time for a lot of people to keep in touch, even though everyone's busy busy is no longer excuse if everyone's busy right Right. people are just psychologically trying to feel like they're busy because it makes them feel important when you can always make time for people you care about that's just the reality and what's really interesting i read a study where for someone who has an average of 150 friends on facebook only three of them would be there for them at a time of an emotional crisis right so if so the real definition of a friend is those who would be there with you or at least acknowledge when you're in an emergency when you're at the hospital because you've hurt yourself or someone died in your family those people who are getting in touch with you calling you or are physically there with you in the moment those are the real friends facebook changed the definition of friend and so it's it's all weak connections on Facebook. Yeah. It's not real. But we think we have so many friends because on Facebook they define it as a friend when it's really not. It's really not. And so I think people have this illusion that they're connected and they have all these friends and, and life is great and they paint a portrait of themselves as that's a perfect life when it's not really true and authentic. It's not what's actually happening. People are all their best PR versions of themselves. And that can be very toxic and misleading and hurt other people as well, not just themselves. Um, And I see this this a lot with people my age. But what was really cool was, you know, one of my new friends, this guy Jay Shetty, who is a massive social media influencer, uh, he said to me, and he was a monk for two years, so he has a very oh, unique wow. perspective on life. And he said to me once, when I about just like a, maybe a month or two into our friendship, he goes, "We're going to be friends for a long time." And then, like a few months later, he said, "We're going to be friends forever." People do not talk like that, no. especially men. Yeah. So I was ta- I was taken so aback by that it like changed how I viewed friendship. Yeah. Because no one talks like that. Right. And and men especially have weaker friendships over time because they're less likely to be vulnerable and talk about emotional things with other men because it in our culture it's deemed uh, as a weakness instead of a strength. Right. And that, that's a huge problem. Whereas is. women, it's easier for them to talk about those things, you know, how did you feel when your boyfriend dumped you and all those type of things. And that's why they have strong relationships. So it's more of a factor for men than women. You know, I, I agree with you 100%. And one of the things I'm really passionate about, and I think that in organizations particularly, when you're talking about senior leadership, that they really want to make an impact on the culture in the organization. And to me, it is all about culture. And when you're in senior leadership, uh, culture and communication should, to me, be the primary focus. And I think authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability are the currencies that are needed and are desired 
uh, whether we admit it or not or know it or not. But I think authenticity, vulnerability, transparency are the keys to radically transforming your life and your organization. And I'm with you. I mean, there's great strength behind all of that. It doesn't necessarily mean you're wearing your emotions on your sleeve and certainly need to compartmentalize in stressful situations. But at the same time, you're authentic about it, right? And that vulnerability and transparency is extremely powerful. I can't agree with you more. What and, I- that, and that's good leadership too. Yeah, exactly. Right? Chapter Absolutely. nine is the most powerful chapter of the whole book, in my opinion. I agree. It's the hardest to write, but the most important. It's called lead with empathy. Yep. Right. And I think that's something that's lacking in our culture. People are just not empathetic. And I've experienced this multiple times. I mean, I'll give you one quick example. I was in Santa Monica running near the beach and I kind of lost, lost control I, and I almost fell on my face and no one even flinched around me. Wow. It's probably like 70 people around me. No one even cared. And so to me, the culture is broken when that, when that type of situation happens, when no one can really understand other people's perspectives and care for them. Um, and we need to bring that into the workplace because work environments are becoming more ruthless and hostile. Mm-hmm. You know, think about the Me Too movement. Think about, I mean, Amazon, Walmart have the most employees on welfare. You know, they, they get horrible reviews for a reason. You know, Walmart wants to shut down labor unions. They have a whole training video when you try and, uh, when you start work there that gets you to go against labor unions that are going to protect you. And Amazon, literally the employees have to wear, the drivers have to wear diapers because they don't get enough time. They're timed. So they don't get enough time to actually go to the bathroom. So like the workplace is really hostile. These stores don't get out as much, but it's, really what's happening and because because the workplace is so hostile we need, just need a new type of leader we can't have these autocratic leaders as they mentioned in the book that are you know about command and control following policies and procedures just not caring as much about the human and more about you know maybe self-interest we need more of a transformational leader that has a, a great vision gets people excited about that vision supports the team is empathetic encourages the best in others like that's the leader that people want now not these old autocratic leaders. It's just not yeah. going to hold up anymore. Not, um, yeah, and but, because the workplace is so fluid, because people, you know, can bounce around from company to company a little bit more easy because of technology. Now people, I, I remember there's a, a stat that people spend three to four hours a week job searching on their mobile phone. Eventually that'll just be like a hundred percent of their job searching time. Right. Yep. And because of that, there's going to just gonna be a lot more pressure on companies because consumerism and employment is blurred. So if you get treated poorly as an employee, you're going to bash them on Glassdoor. You're going to give them bad reviews and you're not going to shop at that company anymore if it's a consumer-oriented company, right? A B2C company. So you're seeing all these CEOs having to step down because the Me Too movement, because of all these terrible things that they're doing. And there's just going to be a massive backlash at the highest levels. It's just It's just naturally going to happen because there's no hiding anymore. Technology as much as in the book, I, I hit technology a little bit because people overuse and abuse it. At the same time, it has also revealed some of the rough uh, and terrible things in society for the better. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, and I've said on the show, and I agree completely that this whole command and control style of leadership, this autocratic, it just doesn't work. I mean, the only way that you can survive and thrive in, in a chaotic a world and environment is a decentralized culture of leadership where 
you are pushing the decision-making to the absolute lowest levels where people become more autonomous and you support those decisions. And so it demands that the type of leadership what you talk about in the book is this empathetic, authentic, vulnerable, and transparent leader. Also, it's about, and in chapter 10, where you talk about building the relationships, you talk about culture and the relationships piece. I contend that if an organization, the senior leadership focuses on communicating this is what we're trying to accomplish and why and make people feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves and show them how it doesn't matter what the product is how lives are at stake how we're transforming lives how we're changing you know get people excited about what it is and why they're doing it you're gonna have an engaged workforce and that demands that the senior leadership is all about empathy, creating a culture, building relationships. I love the example you gave by Peter Schultz, the former CEO of, of Porsche. And he did this in the 80s, right? And you talk about in, in the book where you, he created this, basically this, this family. He rebuilt the culture by putting the employee first. And it sounds like such common sense, but we still miss it, right? We still think we have to be this autocratic leader. But if you build a, a family, and like you said in your book, leaving a job is easy, but leaving a family is a lot harder. So why don't you build and create this culture where we feel like we're trying to conquer the world, right? Yeah, especially young people. They view their coworkers as their work family and their parent or, or in their manager as their work parent. Right. And it's much easier to leave a job and a company and a team where you have less of a connection, where you're working from home, you're never really meeting anyone, than one where you feel like it's like this camaraderie, like you feel like you're all together for a reason and you're achieving, you know, each other's goals and supporting them. That's why I like chapter three a lot about, you know, practice shared learning because let's all try and get better together to keep up with the changing demands of the economy, right? right, right. Instead of being selfish with what you know, share what you know. Yeah, it's, and it's never been easier to do that. Exactly. And it's having this teacher scholar relationship instead of a boss subordinate relationship, which you highlight in chapter, th- you know, that's kind of the, the gist of what I got at chapter three. I mean, right. I mean, it's like about, I don't know. I, and I don't know how familiar you are with the Marine Corps. And I've said that on here, I came from that and it was the most loving organization that I ever worked in ever because it was, and you think, Oh, it's just this big kind of autocratic command and control. And it wasn't because it was about, they understood that dealing with chaos means you've got to have your frontline folks with eyes on opportunities, eyes on the customer, if you will, empowered to make decisions that support the overall intent, right? And the only way you do that is by educating, pushing, sharing knowledge. And the senior leadership is about communicating what you're trying to accomplish and why and let the lower levels, the, the, the people with the eyes on the front line with interacting with the customer, let them make the decision that support that intent. Your book highlights a lot of that. I don't know if you realize that or not. I mean, it's a lot of the stuff that um, the Marine Corps has been doing for quite some time. And it was really, that's why it was exciting for me to read. Because I, I think the more that particularly the younger generation understands the power behind that decentralization, the power behind that empathy, the power behind that vulnerability and transparency. Wow. I mean, that's the type of organizations that we need, Right. And, um, that's it. That's it. I mean, the more open you are, the more honest yeah. you are with your teammates about what's actually happening in the company, the more they're going to trust you. And trust is like Absolutely. so important to engagement and organizational success. You know, and you can't just have people aren't just going to randomly trust you. You have to earn the trust over time. And by being open and transparent, you start to bridge those connections and make people 
more invested in you and the team and the organization. It's all about really one of the core aspects of this book is it's all about the drawing the connection between engagement and team commitment, right? If you're more engaged and less lonely and less isolated because of technology, you're going to work harder and you're going to want to stay at the company longer. And the average tenure, regardless of age in America, at least is 4.2 years and used to be a little bit, a little bit more than that. And I think that, you know, replacing an employee and hiring a new one is extremely stressful. I'm sure you've done that before. It's really, really hard to find good people and it just takes a long time to onboard them and get them all set and be fully productive. It takes about six months actually. Uh, So instead of doing that, why not create a family environment and the best companies that I've, I've worked with or talked to have created that environment so that people want to stay because they don't want to leave a family. They want to work hard and be rewarded and recognized as a great worker. Like uh, Kronos, I mean, it's they've got to be one of my biggest clients in my career. I'm on the Workforce Advisory Board. They're a billion-dollar company and one of the top HR you know, service providers in the world. And that's if you ask the employees, why do people stay there? It's because they treat their office environment and culture like it's supporting a great family. Yeah. That's the secret. And so they have long tenures there. Yeah, and I think it's... I, I think it even goes deeper too. A lot of times I see these, um, some of the organizations I've worked with and talked with and like, Oh, we're going to change our culture. And they focus kind of on the superficial stuff, you know, of, and I think it's important to create a, a great workspace and this and that, but it's more about having ping pong tables or foosball or bringing your pet to work and all that. Um, it's about making them feel like part of something bigger than themselves. Right. Well, you, you read that part uh, when I interviewed Laszlo Bach, who uh-huh. is the former head of people operations at Google. Yep. He nailed it. People don't come here to play ping pong. And actually, honestly, we have an office where there's a ping pong table. I'm never at the office. I cannot be at the <laughs> office because it's just so loud and annoying. I can't get anything done. Um, so I, I, it's not about ping pong. It's not about free beer and food. It's about working with really smart people. You yes. can learn from and who, Created, like they did Google did Project Aristotle, where they were like, how do we create the highest performing teams? And they found that it's about creating a safe environment where people feel comfortable sharing ideas. That's the secret, right? It's like right. make people feel safe and included, regardless of their skin color or gender or age. You know, treat people like people and, and like adults. I mean, I think that's really that's the key so here. It's, it's like sense, right? obviously promote human connectivity, like I say in the book, and create a good employee experience. But at the end of the day, let's look past what makes us different and focus more on what makes us similar, which is humanity. I agree with you. And I think the places I worked at where I absolutely loved being part of it, and again, the Marine Corps is in that mix, but it was those organizations that had kind of a... Um, an underlying theme of like, it's not my right to challenge. It's my obligation. And I get that from flying planes. I mean, you know, when we fly together up there, I don't care who, what type of personality, what experience level this other person has, I'm not going to let them crash into the mountain. I'm not going to let them land with the gear up. So it's not my right to challenge them. It's my obligation. And I think if you can have that permeate through the culture where even the lowest level, the newest team member has the uh, ability and the comfortableness to speak up so they see something that so they're not going to let us crash in the mountain if you will those are the best organizations right because everybody's sharing the knowledge everybody's feels empowered to speak up um i don't know what are your thoughts on that 
I mean, I completely agree. I mean, I was just having a conversation with one of my good friends, Shane Snow. He wrote a book called Dream Teams. Yeah, I've had Shane on the show. Yeah, he's a great guy. I love him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he talks about how, you know, if you want a very creative culture, you have to promote arguments because yes. that's how you're going you're gonna to be able to work together as a team to come up with the best solution and new ideas. If everyone agrees on the same thing, you're not going to innovate. Right. But it's it's healthy arguments. It's not like, oh, you're a horrible person or I disagree with you. You don't know what you're talking about. You're dumb. No, it's, hey, you know, I see you said this. Well, you might want to think of it in this other way, too. It's you know, it's right. like it's, the words you use are so powerful. Absolutely. It's respectful dissent. Right. It's about because I'm dissenting because I am passionate and I'm doing this for the betterment of the mission of the organization of what we're trying to accomplish, not about my ego or personal, right? Yeah. It's, it's respectful dissent. And I think that uncomfortable, it's okay to make things a little uncomfortable, not in the sense of where there's intimidation and fear, but uncomfortable in the sense that we can passionately disagree, right? You and I can get emotional. We can get, you know, loud in the office and I disagree. And then at the end of the day though, we're doing it for the betterment of, of what we think is right for the organization. Right. Yeah. Which, which goes right back to what we were saying with transformational leader. You know, as long as you have the vision, everyone's on board and committed and the leader is empathetic and encourages the best in others, then you know what direction you're headed in. And so whatever arguments happen, you still know why you're doing what you're doing, which is the most important thing. Yeah. I love the book, Dan. I think it's just, it's absolutely great. I think good job on this. And, um, I highly recommend it to everyone out there in, uh, particularly leaders out there who are trying to make an impact on their culture, plant the seeds of a decentralized organization. I think this is a great framework for that, Dan. I don't know if you've, you've looked at it in that sense or even in those terms of decentralized leadership culture. Yeah, but it's really exactly. It, it really is. That's, that's a huge part of it because yeah. I talk about managing remote teams and what mm-hmm. to do if you're an employee working with a remote manager. And this book fulfills, continues to fulfill my promise to help people through every phase of their career, right? My first book I wrote in my early 20s called Me 2.0, that was helping people go from college to getting their first job. And my second book in my mid to late uh, 20s was called Promote Yourself. So if you're an employee, how to get ahead at work and eventually become a manager. And then this is a leadership book with that twist of trying to help the new age leader or emerging leaders solve the biggest problem that they have, which is not overusing and abusing technology and getting back to human and connecting with people who are increasingly, as you said, decentralized. They're working from wherever and that's good, but don't lose track of them because we need to harness the humanity and emotional intelligence of others in order to bring corporations further. You're not going to close a $5 million account by text. No. Right. Right. And you're not going to solve a big problem at work by G chatting someone or sending an instant message. Right. right? So it, I think for many of the toughest problems, you, you cannot avoid picking up the phone or meeting someone at their office. Right. And it saves so much time too. like the stat in the book, which was one of my favorites is one face to face conversation is more successful than 34 emails exchanged back and forth. Oh my God. So instead of going back and forth and like hoping people understand you and getting the message across, all you have to do is walk over to their office and say, here, this is what I mean. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's it's a time saver. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting. Like old school is the new new school. 
So yeah, like, for funny. instance, if you do it, if you have a job interview and you write a handwritten note, that's going to stand out know, so right? much now. <laughs> you know, it's like when you send a thing, I can't tell you how many times where people have done it to me and I've done it too, where after I've met them, I sent just a quick little handwritten note and they'll, you remember those and they stick out, you know, and even at work when people have given me recognition, I remember I got a post-it note from my CEO when I worked in corporate America and it was just a quick note. It says, Rich, thanks for staying late. Thank you for doing this. I mean, this was, and it was on a post-it note. And that meant more to me than some tchotchke or standing up in front and getting some, you know, goofy, you know, award or something. You know, that little personal connection where he took the time to write a little note that was heartfelt. It's so simple, but we, we ignore, ah, it's just, I think it's because we're, like you said, we're so addicted to the technology. We think that that information, uh, all that information that we have in our fingertips uh, gives us more clarity and it actually doesn't, right? It actually makes things worse. And so the more that you can just do the face-to-face, why write a lengthy email to say, can I meet with you at this time and then talk? It's so powerful, right? Yeah, and effort is the new currency. Yeah. Right, because everyone thinks they're busy. So if you display effort, it's, it really matters because what, when you display effort, you're saying I'm using the effort and energy this way and not a million other ways at this moment. Yeah. Oh, I love so it's it. like any it's almost like in a really weird way, anytime you almost talk to someone or meet with them, you're saying no to so many things that it's like a compliment. I know, right? <laughs> I know. It's it sounds weird to say, but it does. Well, I love your stuff. I love your brand. I love your books. Um you got a brand new podcast too. Man, some amazing guests. You've interviewed so many amazing people. I have just I would love to uh have uh interviewed some of the people that you've interviewed. Oh, it's yeah, it's been, it's been over 2,000 people since I graduated college. It's amazing. This, the format's been the same. It's five questions in under 15 minutes. And the last question has been, what's your top career advice? That's been pretty consistent. And, and you know, it's taken me years to get some of those people. You know, some yeah. only fell into my lap after, you know, 1,500 interviews later, right? Like Warren Buffett. That came to me. I don't, I don't even know. Would, I wouldn't even know how to pitch that. Right. I, I think he just chooses you. You have to be like the chosen one. Um, but others I've really worked hard for, like Hulk Hogan. I've always wanted to interview him. And I only got him because I interviewed someone who knew him. And that article got on the homepage of Yahoo and it changed his life. So he's like, let me introduce you to Hulk Hogan. And so like all this stuff was crazy. I mean, I interviewed, I mean, I interviewed Donald Trump and that took I think four years. Yeah. Uh, Tony Robbins took over six years. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, I think was like seven years in the making. That's and so crazy. like, yeah, I'll, Oh, I, I am like all about the, there's a fine line between being persistent and, and being patient. And I've, I've, I've kind of mastered that. So I'm very aggressive yet at the same time, if it doesn't happen now, I'm okay with it. Yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of people, People struggle with that. They want everything now because of our culture. You know, no. Everything is about instant gratification. For me, it's about I want to put my all into something and not have any regrets, which I'm 100% doing with this book. But at the same time, if things don't turn out, at least I've connected with more people and have another book out. So I, I tell myself like these positive, uplifting stories in my head, and that helps push away some of the negativity of like not getting everything I want immediately. So I, I try and remove entitlement and focus on doing the right thing and doing the best I possibly can with no regrets, because that's the best way to live life with no regrets yeah. is you do the best you can in that moment. 
No, it's a, it's a great example. I, mean, I completely relate to that because even, you know, have done doing these interviews on a smaller scale than you have. And I've had some big, big names too. And I remember like, I get asked a lot. I was like, well, how did you uh, get them on there? Like I have one stock formula for getting an interview. Right. And, and I just, it's funny. I say, I don't mean to be flippant, but I just ask and I'm persistent, right. And patient. I love how you said that as patient because it takes a great deal of patience to, uh, but I think it's important for people to understand that, um, and I think you you would agree with this, is that um, they're more accessible than you think. And now you hear six, seven years and this and that, but didn't you, don't you find that, that if you just ask um, in an authentic way, people, you'll be surprised by the, by the result many times, right? I think people are more accepting of it now than they probably were 20 years ago. True. Right? Because we didn't have podcasts. We didn't have all these mediums many years ago, right? So if you were at the New York Times or Fortune magazine, you're probably not going to get the interview because no one knew what a podcast was or what a blog was, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, I think I think the two things that all successful people have in common that I found is one, they want to be more, they want to become more successful. Two, they want to be known for that success or recognized for it. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Right. And so if you can enable them to do that and it's the right time for them, they're releasing a book, an audio tape, a movie, whatever it might be. Right. Then, then it could happen. Yeah, I agree. Well, great stuff, Dan. How can people reach out to you uh, and connect with you and learn more about you? Definitely. So check out the podcast, five questions with Dan Shaw on iTunes. And then you can go to Amazon or Barnes and Nobles to purchase the book Back to Human. And my website is danshawbell.com, D-A-N-S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com. And that has my research, my articles, everything. We'll have links to all this in the show notes. Dan, what an honor to have you on the show. I'm so proud to have you in the Dose of Leadership tribe. And and I look forward to staying in, in touch with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to legacyleaderblueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access to my online leadership course. That's legacyleaderblueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.